0: Welcome to The Other Coast, a podcast dedicated to the Malibu Meta in Los Angeles. My name is Jeff, and with me here for this very special Festivus episode are Colgan and Jim. Yay! Happy Festivus, everyone! <laughs> uh, so, for those of you who maybe aren't super familiar with Festivus, it is uh, a winter holiday that's meant to bring out the worst in us and purge it so that it is No longer there for the new year. It was popularized by Seinfeld. And, you know, I realize a lot of people now playing Malifaux are probably too young to have ever seen the Seinfeld episode with Festivus, but it's definitely worth watching. We did a Festivus episode last year when our pod was pretty new, but now we have a year of experience under our belt and many fewer excuses for why our episodes are bad. But with that... (laughs) I mean, we still have the excuse of excuses, which in my book is Colgan. Um, That's just my my go-to.
1: Yowza. Um,
0: And and with that, we actually turn to the first great Festivus tradition, the airing of grievances. My first grievance is actually at you, Jim. And it's ever since you moved to Maryland... You're, like, too cool for school to hit us up and record these episodes with us. It's almost like, I don't know, the curvature of the earth is is giving you some kind of three-hour excuse or something. <laughs> I know,
1: right? It's It's been pretty... Uh, wait, real quick, before we go, is this
0: going to be an explicit podcast? Uh, I Most of ours are, but we don't... I mean, it's not like we go crazy, but... You know, like fuck slips in from now and again. I mean, if I were around at all, then I
1: would fucking know that, right? Because good god, this year has
0: listened. I know you are telling us you don't even listen to our (laughs) episode. Like what the hell?
1: (laughs) I am really frustrated with the way that I have been unable to be in more active in the pod. It just right now life has been a real kick in the pants and Mondays are getting earlier and earlier for me. So like, for example, I've been doing a lot in my real job. I do. This is sounding like an awful lot like excuses. So I'm going to roll with it. In my real day job, I do inspections for lead-based paint and lead-based paint associated things, mold, radon, yada, yada. This coming Monday, I have to leave my office to be at a a site for an inspection at 8 a.m. And I'm going to be leaving the house at 530 in the morning. So if we wanted to record at, say, 7 o'clock your time, I'm starting recording at 10 o'clock and getting up to leave the house at 5. And I'm at the age where I I need my sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, no, that is a legitimate
0: grievance. Jim and his human limitations. I know it's just give me my robot body. (laughs) hasn't stopped you from putting out like 97 games on youtube
1: though (laughs) oh no that's for sure because that that fits in on my time scale when i'm (laughs) not dead tired um which actually means we could probably look at recording on other days and then i don't have excuses so
0: maybe we'll explore that this coming year how's that sound that that sounds like a potentially answered grievance but we will have to wait till next year Um, Mm -hmm. I'll just lead off with a couple more grievances, and then I will turn it over to you fine folks. My next grievance uh, has to do with the way Weird has distributed the titles models. Now, this is kind of peculiar to me, but I very much believe that game companies should go uh, the extra mile to support brick-and-mortar retailers. And now they are not responsible for the the shipping issues that have gripped every industry and, and the entire country, or in fact the entire world. Um, but I have to admit, I was a little disappointed and I mean, even upset. You know, it is maybe kind of sad that these things upset me, but they do. To see that, you know, Weird would have products like the Iconic Fate deck or, you know, like the, the other side two player starter set or the title boxes or whatever and be perfectly fine to sell them on the online store during Gen Con. Or, I mean, I understand selling them at Gen Con. But, you know, they sold them on the online store in Gen Con, they sold them during Black Friday. And he, out here at California, you know, our, our retailers are like, hey, we you know, we'd love to sell you this stuff, but we got no product. And it's putting a lot of fans in, in the unfortunate uh situation of either waiting or trying to support their their brick and mortars. And by and large, our local meta has made the decision to just support our local stores. And that's why uh titles have seen very little play in our area. But I just I think it's just kind of distasteful for for weird to be kind of you know raking in the direct sales uh and leaving their retailers kind of twisting in the wind. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. It really sucks when, like, companies offer like really deep discounts if you buy direct from them, and then it just gets into this weird situation. It's like, okay, I can either you know buy up all the stuff at the local store for like two times the cost, and you know, it's like I'm fine paying a little bit more at you know brick and mortar because you know they have like rent and stuff to pay. But I mean, like, one of the things that came out, I think, was like the Mon pot Kickstarter, I guess this isn't specific to weird, but they're releasing things. I think someone did the math and it's like you're paying you're getting basically like a 98% discount compared to buying the retail stuff. So like <laughs> now it, it just like pretty much killed the stock that any store has because anyone that was gonna buy the stuff it's like, oh you could have gotten the Kickstarter and got a ninety eight percent discount.
0: That sounds like enough of a discount to to you know compromise my principles, honestly. Like, I want to support my local store, but 98% off. Uh, Yeah, I, I think I would bend at that point.
2: Right. And the, the tough thing, too, is because they're actually releasing, like, Kickstarter exclusive stuff. So it's like, if you're a fan of the game and you actually want these sculpts that are, you can only get through the Kickstarter, it's like, well, you have to buy in at least a little bit. And then it's like, for the cost of, like, buying one monster normally, you can get, like, almost, like, an entire army. And it's just, what the fuck?
0: What is the retail situation in Maryland, Jim? I can tell you that my local
1: store, if you wanted to start any one particular keyword, I think the only keywords you could start and build a 50 Soulstone Crew off the shelf without going into out of keyword hires would be Karai, Red Chapel, if you go with the 2E version of the box. That they have still left over. And um, yeah, I'm going to say that's probably about it. Like, they just don't have the product available. And, you know, some of that is ordering. Like, I ordered the Honeypot core box, the Jacob Lynch core box, because I recently tried the Lynch title out and had a blast. I have all of Honeypot built and painted. With the exception of the Soul Battery, which I have a proxy in the works for. And I have um, the Nightmare Huggy. And so it looks really cool, but I just needed a little bit of extra. And that was like two weeks ago. And I'm still waiting to get a hold of an already existing box. And yes, yes, like we said, we know it's not exactly weird's it's fault because COVID. But it is incredibly frustrating that I'm like, hey, you guys want to try out this game? Can we see, you know, I want to start this master. Oh, they don't have
0: it. Yeah. I mean, I acknowledge that to a certain extent. Weird has a no win situation here, especially, you know, with regards of, uh, you know, products that they had announced coming out one month and then, you know, kept getting delayed. I'm sure as they tried to work through the supply issues and then finally they were like, well, you know, we're going to offer them online during these events or whatever. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, I, I don't think Weird is out there to sabotage brick and mortar retailers. I think they understand, you know, very well just how important those kinds of stores are to the growth of their game. But I, you know, again, I just found it somewhat distasteful. Uh the things like the iconic fate deck, which now are listed as sold out on Weird's web store. And uh, you know, hopefully our, our local store can get some in because I really, you know, I really want one. Um mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I just I, I see it as as almost like disrespectful in in a way to to like all the work that brick and mortar retailers do to like really keep the hobby alive but you know anyways uh my next is a related issue you know last year i went on this rant about fate decks for the most part it seems like the new fate decks they've released have all kind of had accuracy trackers and, and and stuff like that but i'm still pretty upset that they are not you know reprinting fate decks of old that people really want like the retro fate deck and especially you know now that we live in a printed print-on-demand type retail environment where they could uh put the files up like you know they do have print-on-demand decks already they could put the classic fate deck or up something up there you know, it's hard for me to believe that they don't have the art files so i just i i guess i find it sort of confusing why they don't kind of take the step that anecdotal evidence shows that their fans would be happy about people want the classic fate Mm. deck they want the retro fate deck you know why not just make them available
1: yeah especially in the having access to print on demand services already yeah that seems like a no-brainer i
0: agree it totally is Uh, all right so my next grievance uh you know which all of these are kind of no-brainers because they're all just obviously correct (laughs) My, my next grievance is is Get, sadly, another one from last year. It has to do with Through the Breach. You know, again, guys, get rid of your terrible fixed target number system. It's horrible. It's ridiculously bad. Go to the system that everyone knows is superior and at least just put it back as an optional rule. I don't get why you cut it originally. Find a place to insert it uh, in another book, you know, just in a side panel or whatever called, like, Jeff is Right. And, you know, I, I think... Uh, We'll all just be a lot happier. I won't have to have this rant every year for Festivus. And you won't have to have your players labor under what is objectively a horrible system.
2: Yeah, it seems kind of weird they don't have opposed duels. That feels like it's kind of like the trademark weird has in all their games.
0: Well, you know what gets me about that is right. They have a robust system right in front of them. And then what they did is like, hey, we have players. We have a world. We have a system. Let's take the world that's awesome. Let's take our players that are awesome. And then let's take our system and just ruin it. And then, like, we got a game. Like, what?
1: <laughs> so, I want to say a thing real quick. Okay? I am proud to say that I am currently in the middle of my first Through the Breach campaign. Mm-hmm. And we are having a very good time with it. But, <laughs> we're running through, I think it's one of the starter scenarios. Um I forget what it's called, but like we we started in this tavern called the Iron Giant. So if you know the game and you and that name sounds familiar, that's where we are. And our fate master had us go through this story, and we reach this room, and we go into this room. We beat the bad guys in there, and there's another enemy in there that we knocked out. Like we we knocked him out as soon as we opened the door, Mm -hmm. and then they wake up and suddenly. None of us remember who, why we were in there or where that person went. Clearly it was, um, it was one of the forgotten enemies, like the, the Molly keyword enemies. Right. Right. And we're like trying to not let this thing follow us home and kill us in our sleep. So we spend an entire session doing nothing because we're trying to not, we're trying to take out this thing and we have to pass a target number 11 duel all of us have, you know, mediocre stats because we're just starting out. And Mm -hmm. he says, like, we need a margin of success. So we need to pass by an 11 plus. So, like, we need Red Jokers to be passing and succeeding on this level one encounter. Now, I trust my storyteller, or not storyteller, but Fate Master is doing it right. But it is really frustrating when I look at my hand of three cards and it's like... A two, a five, and a seven, and that's what I got for the rest of the encounter. Because
0: I don't know, I don't have a whole fate deck. <laughs> it is kind. Of, I mean, the way they do the twist, the twist deck, I think is interesting, but kind of weird. Are you guys using pre-generated characters, or did you make your own? We made our own. Okay, because I will I'm, say this.
1: Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just going to say I uh, shout out to the scoundrels themselves. My character is essentially if Dashel had Tony's skill set. <laughs>
0: nice uh because i will say this for weird you know i actually even though i don't play with their system you know i i just essentially use malivo when i run one shots at conventions and stuff which i do you know reasonably frequently or at least i did you know pre-covid i actually use the pre-generated characters they have in their free rpg day uh adventure hmm. and the thing is those pre-generated characters work really well together because all of their their values have been manipulated in in a way that you wouldn't do if you were making your own characters so that Hmm. everyone is kind of pretty close to each other in like a a wide range of activities. And, and it really does highlight, I guess, the, the optimal situation for their single flip like system, but otherwise, yeah, no, it's Garbo. Um, But I'm glad you're having fun. It is. I mean, you know, it's entirely, it's, I mean, it's possible to have fun playing tic-tac-toe, right. And like, that's the worst game in history. (laughs) <laughs> or, uh, it's probably not the worst game in history right you know there's like Russian roulette or whatever but yeah I mean so it sounds like a, a good campaign and hey Through the Breach is such a compelling system that I can oh, see why blast. people play it.
1: It is, it is a genuine treat to play and we are really enjoying ourselves but that was just a very frustrating encounter. Oh sorry I said
0: compelling system I meant setting it's a terrible system but it's a very compelling setting. All right sorry so my next grievance sorry I got a couple of these so I gotta roll on.
1: <laughs> uh, my next grievance
0: has to do with titles. I feel uh, like the huge dump of of titles, and I'm not sure there was a better way to do it, right? Because if you dribble out some at a, at a time, it's kind of unfair to the people who are at the back of the line or whatever. But the huge, huge dump of titles, especially in a casual play meta like our, our local meta, you know, for one thing, we haven't really fully digested explorers. Uh, and here's like, oh, boom you know, another 50-something new masters, which is essentially what they are. But also, I think to have added that many masters and then, you know, the additional non-master models that they, they also added uh, without pruning any of the models is kind of, you know, sort of exacerbated this model bloat issue, which which already existed pre-titles. Uh, and it just kind of underlines, I guess, the, you know, the models that really kind of strain to ever appear in a game.
2: Yeah, I think having the titles also makes it so much harder for new players. Because, you know, previously it's like, oh, if you play Rasputina, she plays like this. But now it's like, oh, she could put down ice pillars or she can also summon things from ice pillars depending on which version you're playing against. And you won't know which version you're playing against until you've picked your crew. So I feel like it just it makes the entry level for newer players just so much more difficult.
1: I'm going to push back on that because I don't buy that. I and maybe that's unfair because I am more familiar. I've played more with titles. But in my experience with our group, we've got some new players in our local meta. They don't know what they're facing against a new master, even if even when we didn't have titles. (laughs) They didn't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect facing and, you know, a keyword that I haven't faced in a while or in a long, you know, at all. So I don't know that I buy that it's making it more frustrating than it already is but then again just cuz I think that doesn't make it true and that I I am realizing I'm invalidating your guys experiences and that's unfair so I'm going to I'm going to roll that one back
0: <laughs> well, no, I mean it is valid to say that you know you don't really think it's going to make it more difficult for new players like I mean you have a reasoning behind it right which I mean already puts you way ahead of most internet arguments I would just say that you know even if you remove the if you remove the qualifier new player it sounds like you conceded that it just you know it makes the game more difficult right and that should that should be pretty obvious they added 50 something new masters that's going to make the game more complicated yes uh, but I think also part of it is that it's the rare case where you look at the title version and you're like that's the simpler version
1: so I think that's only the case for a couple of masters, and I think that it is okay that the game is complex enough that there's it's not solved, because I feel that's kind of what where it would go if you have say, I know what what the opponent's going to bring, like paring down options. There are definitely models that need looked at, and you know that's what those cyclical errata or for
0: right oh yeah we'll get to that next
1: <laughs> <laughs> i just i think that titles have given players who don't want to invest super to a, a super extent in the game until they're familiar with it the ability to play like that player who wants to play rasputina her current version is a is very tough to play and i say that as someone who enjoys playing rasputina and has told said many places you can play the game with every crew. But yes, there is there are hard mode options, and titles do help solve some of those hard mode
0: options. Sure, but they shouldn't be taken as an excuse to... Like, they're not an answer for balance. Like The, the response to, oh, Raspy 1 is undertuned, isn't, oh, Raspy 2 exists. No, Raspby 1 should be looked at. But
1: if you're getting into the game and you want to play the Ice Witch... I don't think it's bad that you have two options that you can play with and not have to buy the beasts or the mechanical spiders or the punchy angry ladies. You can just play Ice Witch.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. All right. So my next complaint has to do with Irata. You know, we mentioned this last year. Also, I still find the pace of their Irata, uh, in facts like way too slow. And, and I don't think there's really need to be labor too much because we went into it last year, and yet I can't stop myself from, from talking about it. So, yeah, I just, I think we live in an era where quarterly updates are not unreasonable. I think a, an update with the, uh you know, that would have dropped along with Malifaux Burns would have been perfectly reasonable. I understand games need stability. You know, I do. But there's, you know, there can be different levels of, of like patch notes, right? You know, not every, you know, to take like an MMO or, or, you know, or MOBA or whatever, all those games have patches and all those games have patch notes. And some patches are big and some patches are little. And I just think if weird were to commit itself to, you know, something like quarterly updates, First of all, because there's not so long in between each update, if you screw up in quarter 1, you can fix it in quarter 2 or quarter 3 and you're not left with some horrible situation like the, you know, the another from you know from the dark days uh for for so <laughs> long. Um <laughs> you know, but also I think there's a lot of a lot of issues come up that maybe haven't been thought of before. And you know, just figure it out is not a great answer. And then as we kind of mentioned on on our first visit episode last year, Weird has is actually issued rulings in private messages to specific players. That is not a way to manage, you know, uniform rules for your game. And I think if you are willing to answer, you know, those kind of questions or issue rulings in that format, that should really be an indication that a quarterly release is not going to be so onerous that it's going to bring the house crashing down.
1: So. I do want to respond as well, because
0: I generally
1: I think that rules questions like rules interpretations, how does take the hit work, stuff like that. Yeah, it would be so easy if, if weird had a dedicated person who asks questions and then they call co- collate these questions in their discord mayhaps. On a, in a channel dedicated to official responses that get put into quarterly FAQ documents. That seems like a great idea. When it comes to actually tweaking models and eroding models, I think quarterly might be too aggressive. But I do think semi-annually, like twice a year for eroding models, I think that's doable. If they're going to erode models, they're going to do it in such a way that they want to make sure they get enough playtest time in, and playtest does take some time. You're, you're talking about the number of games I get out on on YouTube, on, you know, in a given month. I'm getting like one to two games a week on average. And if they want to make sure something gets tested adequately, you need a lot of eyes on that thing. So that's just my my
0: two pence. Sure. What do you think, Colgan?
2: I mean, yeah, I agree. I think if you're actually doing like adjustments to models and stuff like that, um, quarterly might be a little bit too aggressive. I guess if you're doing smaller ones, it's fine, but I definitely agree for the life of me for like clarification on rules. I don't understand why that can't just be like a hot fix FAQ thing, right? Like you just have an FAQ, like it's usually just like a frigging word document. If there's a rules interaction that no one understands and they need clarification and it's like, Oh, you know, I got a message from, the designer out weird in a dm and then you just like link that in the discord as like this is how the rule should be interpreted that should just be thrown into a document and just updated i don't i'm not even sure that necessarily needs to be tied to like a certain time frame it should just be as needed right like why do we have to sit for like a year discussing like what is another or like how exactly does like take the hit work that shouldn't be something that we discuss for a year before we know how the designers actually intended a rule to work.
0: Right. And I guess part of my point is, uh, you know, when you look at the way video games are handling, you know, revisions, right? And I understand, you know, a AAA video game studio and Weird and, you know, Weird is successful on the scale of a tabletop miniatures game company. um, But still, the industry is just going to be much smaller than, you know, say like Electronic Arts or... Square Enix or, you know, just whatever those, you know, kind of successful video game companies have. But video game companies have leveraged uh, in, in a couple different ways, but they've done a better job, I think, of leveraging direct interface with the community as a way, as like a testing ground, right? So like a lot of MMOs will have like private test servers. And I mean, a lot of other types of games now also have private test servers um, where you'll be trying a new kind of a version of the game, and that's all done in public, right? And, you know, obviously a lot of the earlier development was in private, you know, because they do want to sort of control control information on on some earlier concepts or whatever. But when things get to a reasonably polished state, then they enter into this area where the the general public can access it if they want. And now, you know, with Discord, with with the increasing, I mean, social media has, has been around for a while, right? But it just seems like every year we get new social media tools or it's easier to kind of use the ones we already have or whatever. I just think that tabletop games have not learned how to leverage their communities as effectively as video games have. And one kind of evidence I point to is like the way Weird is handling things like FAQs and model balance, uh in like their once a year drops.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the industry as a whole, like you said, is smaller, but you can definitely see that well I mean, like the M3e app, which everyone loves, was originally created by a fan, right? That wasn't even a thing that was Weird was
1: actively thinking about. Well, Weird had, they had an app in 2e. So it's not like they haven't utilized that technology before. You had to pay for it, and it wasn't very
0: good.
2: I remember seeing, because like, I know 40k released an app recently, and I was reading in like the shop's Discord channel, apparently no one uses it because it's so inaccurate. And that just seemed like <laughs> Well, it's, it's
1: inaccurate, me. it's... You have to, I think, pay per army. It's like the old War, War Hordes app where you had to like buy your cards digitally mm-hmm. and physically, and like you couldn't cross-reference them and stuff. Uh,
0: for the 40k, one each codex comes with a code. So if you buy a hard copy, I believe you get the electronic as well. But don't quote me on that. I'm not going to defend the Warhammer 40k app. It's, <laughs> it's terrible, right? Um, but you know, most things Games Workshop puts out, except for the shape of their plastic um are terrible so we shouldn't be surprised uh but anyway sorry i, I don't mean to like derail the grievance train <laughs> you know that's pretty much going to do it for you know the grievances i'm going to bring up this year colgan uh do you have any grievances you took most of mine now
2: um i just I have like a personal grievance but i think everyone can probably relate to it just just my pile of shame ever growing oh my gosh <laughs> i can't relate to that <laughs> i feel
0: no shame Cause you don't paint anything and you don't build anything either. Gray is beautiful. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel, I love my miniatures for how they are. You know, I'm not pushing them to, you know, like into these unhealthy body image.
2: How do faces factor into that? Then you're ashamed of the stock
0: faces. No, I just, you know, they, I just want them to uh have their natural habitat reflected. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't know. For me, personally, I've I've had to get to the point where I'm just like subdividing my piles of shame. So it's like mm-hmm. right now in Malifaux, I have such a li- big backlog, I can't justify buying any more Malifaux stuff. I mm-hmm. still haven't touched my order from the Black Friday sale like two years ago.
0: <laughs> I feel that. Is that your only grievance?
2: I, I guess my other grievance are just... I guess it's mainly Games Workshop, but like companies that don't release like at least the core rules for their games for free now.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Or, you know, like for mm-hmm. armies and stuff like too, I appreciate that so much when, you know, if you're trying to like learn more about a game or I guess get better at a game. And, you know, if you're playing 40K, you're looking at dropping what, like three $400, I guess, or getting the subscription to even know what other armies are capable of. Which just seems really rough to me, especially if you're not like, if you're a more casual player that just wants to get better, you don't really have an avenue for reading up on it other than, I guess, hoisting the pirate flag. Er. (laughs) Yar.
0: When I was a kid, you know, you could afford to play 40k, you know, with like your allowance money and, and the various, the various subsidiary ways kids kind of scrounge up money and, you know, holidays and whatever. Like you could build an army and you can collect the rules. And now, I mean, I would say I don't know how kids play the game. Um, I mean, kids play the game by their parents buying them everything now because it's just so expensive. Or kids don't really play the game, right? Kids might not be Mm -hmm. um, the target audience. I I kind of feel sad because I remember, you know, my friends and I, like in high school, it's like, yeah, we didn't have a ton of money, but we had armies and we had all the codexes and stuff and it it was doable. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Uh, Anything else, Colgan?
2: Um, Not off the top of my head. Take it away, Jim.
0: You know, happy natured as expected. Actually, before Jim goes, I have one I totally forgot about. Weirdscapes, okay? They teased them years ago. They released a couple of buildings. They showed images of like really cool tiles and other pieces that we hadn't seen come out. What's up with Weirdscapes? Weird, are you abandoning them? Are they still a thing that you plan to develop? I mean, I understand you have other you have other priorities, but. I hope you continue the line. But here's the thing some of your stuff is pretty expensive for what you get. Like the solarium, the haunted mansion, those are great. But like the ruined walls and like the staircases or whatever, first of all, I mean, they're pretty weirdly sized, but also they're not distinctive enough. They don't, you know, they don't scream malafo to me. And I can get like a ruined wall anywhere for much much cheaper. So please do continue the weirdscapes, but make models or make make train pieces that that's going to, you know, scream Victorian horror. That's going to scream Malifaux, That's going to be like, you know, era appropriate or if it's in Malifaux, right? Like maybe not maybe not like an earthside style architecture, maybe if it's like something like really weird and crazy, maybe like like a piece of the red cage or something, like who knows, but just I want you to continue with Weirdscapes, but not if your idea of Weirdscapes is just a generic building that I could get somewhere else even cheaper. That's that's my last grievance for today. All right, Jim, take it away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well There's a few things on my mind. I'm pausing because I'm trying to think of which way to go with it and how to best maximize it for humor. Maximum fire. Maximum fire. Okay. So we're gonna start by you raised some very legitimate concerns and frustrations with my absence from the pod. And yet I feel it interesting that neither you nor Colgan are coming with me to the captain con creators invitational. What's up with that again? Where where is it again? Oh, it's, it's in, I think Massachusetts, Uh which I don't uh think
0: even exists, frankly. (laughs) I think that's it's not a Rhode Island, place. actually. Oh, geez, well. You know, a, a place that's so mystical that maps just, like, point at it, right? They just write R-I, and then there's, like, an arrow to a speck on, on the map. It's not a road or an island. I mean, what's up with that?
1: <laughs> but no, seriously. So, like, I'm going to go on the record right now. Uh, dear listeners, if any of you want to step up and be my number two at the Captain Khan Creators Invitational, You know, write us, post in our Discord, message on our Facebook, and uh, we'll see what happens. Because apparently travel at the time of (laughs) Omicron across country to play Malifaux is, you know, maybe not the smartest idea or something if you're on the West Coast. If you're on the East Coast or if you want to do the traveling anyway, well, that's why we're opening it up. But so seriously, guys, uh, it's a team event. Just about everyone in the creator sphere is going to be there. And I think that's really phenomenal. But I do not want to be the only person showing up for Team The Other Coast and turning into the wooden spoon by
0: default. So (laughs) help me out here, guys. Just, uh, you know, play simultaneous games like Bobby Fisher used to do. I I could do that, but um, I would not do it well.
2: The question is, (laughs) are they going to have clocks? Oh, 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 thank you, Colton.
1: Thank you. Because I just want to say my next grievance is that a lot of digital ink has been spilled on the subject of clocks. In fact, The Other Coast has had several episodes, which I have listened to. Thank you. Where you guys did a very good discussion. You know, you had on guests like Cody Hyatt talking about clocks, and, you know, I think it's something that just deserves people trying it. If you can try it and not like it, great. But there's a lot of turning your nose up at it that I'm seeing. I would rather see folks try it and see if they can make it work because it does help. It can help. I mean, Kogan, weren't you saying that you started using a bit bit of clock time and finding it improved your play a bit?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest thing is it just brought awareness to it. I'm not sure if I mentioned on the podcast, but like in my mind, it's like, it takes me about a minute to do a unit activation. But in reality, it was like, oh, it actually only takes me like 10 or 15 seconds in a lot of cases. So then it started getting to the point when I was actually spending like a minute on a unit activation. I was like, I'm not like, I've kind of lost what I'm trying to accomplish in this turn. And it kind of made me like have to, I guess, come into the game with like a more overarching plan of what i wanted each model to do and it came to the point where it's like all right this model is just going to score me the strap point and after that they're useless to me and you know when it came like playing on clocks i was just like i don't need to waste any more time on this model like they're gonna walk they might get a pot shot off but i know they're not scoring any more
1: points
0: Mm -hmm. have you uh tried clocks much with you know your live play uh
1: jim live play my local store doesn't have clocks I have not had an opportunity to purchase them. I have dabbled with phone apps for it, Mm. but uh, when it's on my phone, which is also where I have my cards and the app, (laughs) and typically not a phone charger, um, it has not gone well from virtue of draining my battery resources and attention. If I had a separate clock that I could slap that was there, that's my goal and that's
0: one of my Christmas presents to myself this year. Or it will be. One thing I've sort of noticed in, in the couple games Colgan and I have tried a clock is that until the clock muscle memory is there, I <laughs> <laughs> you, let's just say, um, you know, we've lost a lot of time just to the void, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, you forget to slap it over or whatever. And and so yes, at first I think interacting with the clock and, and this is kind of my problem with or I shouldn't say problem, but my expectation is that You know, you might have someone who's like, "Okay, fine, I'll try a clock like they're they're not really disposed to clocks. They're not enthusiastic, but, you know, whatever, they'll they'll try it. And the first time they play it, it's a new thing to interact with. And it's very easy to just get wrong.
1: Oh, yeah, it's 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 like any other tool. It takes practice and that's understandable. Mm -hmm. Just the 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 sheer amount of not willing to try that that is rustling my jimmies. (laughs) Now, moving on to my next grievance. You know, we, we were talk. I think we talked a little bit about this before the recording started, or maybe it was one during one of your grievances, Jeff, but this Gen Con weird had some of the title boxes available like they typically do. They had some product available early. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's ex- that's established behavior. Say whatever else you want to say about it. They've established that they will have things available beforehand, but they had things available on site that were not listed as things that you could get. And some of those things like the title Victoria's box are things that I at the time was rather interested in getting a hands on <laughs> because I was on a big outcast kick. I have an entire painted mercenary crew. I kind of wanted to try out the VIX and I don't have appropriate proxy because, yes, I am going to use proxies. I'm not just going to use ba- uh, empty base or blue. You don't tack have
0: the on. avatar? I no. mean, you're an old school player.
1: No, I never got the avatar because they were all metal. And I have a problem with metal models Mm. because I am clumsy and I drop them and they go explode. And you do that enough times and you just don't want to touch it anymore. Fair. To find out after the fact that there was stuff there that I wanted that was never advertised. It was just kind of a oopsie poopsie. Some people
0: got something you never knew you had a chance to get. Ha ha. (laughs) That's not okay. Was the other side starter available at Gen Con? I mean, I'm still like, you know, that could have been a grievance, but I'm still waiting for it. Like, where the heck is it? I don't believe so.
1: Mm. And, you know, if I'm wrong, tell tell us on the Internet, you know, (laughs) engage. Please, we're desperate. Maybe I'm just desperate. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But on the subject of models like Colgan, I feel you because right now I am. I am seriously at the point where I've had to wrestle with myself and accept that I need to downsize my collection. You know, we've joked in the past, and actually, Adam, one of my locals, he's, in, he's one of our new locals, he's been listening to The Other Coast, when we first met, brought up like, oh, geez, you do carry all of your bags in with you to the store. On- <laughs> <laughs> Which was surreal as hell, okay? Also, he plays a real mean dreamer game. So shout out to, to you. But the point is, I have to reach a point where I have to realize that I need to sell some of my stuff. And I hate that because I want to play all the things, but I just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's my grievance. I hate the fact (laughs) that I just don't have the time, energy, or ability to play as many models, crews, etc. as I used to. Because now I have to commit to something. And I just hate commitment.
0: Well, you know, weird is hiring. So, you know, Weird is I hiring. Give up the lead paint game and, you know, suck on lead miniatures instead. I have a
1: sneaky suspicion that Weird would not be able to compensate me for my time to the rate I am currently compensated for. <laughs> if that is seen as a challenge and Weird wants to rise to the occasion, they are welcome to DM me. I am open to <laughs> talks, but no, um, in all seriousness, um that is a very cool opportunity and folks with the requisite credentials should reach out to Weird. I'm very interested to see where a where where their games go in the future. Especially with stuff like... I've heard great things about Vagrant Song. I haven't yet had a chance to play. Mm-hmm. But, like, board games seem like a good way for them to supplement their product line.
0: Right. You say stuff into the internet, right? Like, you just say stuff and your words go out to literally tens of people. How is that <laughs> not, like... A strong qualification. I I couldn't tell you, frankly,
1: because, you know, you're right. We, we do reach tens of people and those people are amazing. They're mature, intelligent, generous, humble. All right, enough of that stuff. I would appreciate it if Weird would be a little more forthright about what products are coming out pre-assembled and what are not coming out pre-assembled. I think they're they've got a handle on it now. But I remember a lot of folks being really concerned or surprised that the botanists were Mm pre-assembled. And, you know, we have the starter sets that are coming pre-assembled. We have the other side materials that are coming pre-assembled. We still have Malifo kits that are mostly coming unassembled that require assembly. And we, you know, it's understandable. Weird has said that in the future, if there's a model that's like going to be super tricky to assemble, they'll just have it as pre-assembled. But that just seems, it just, it's a minor, that's a minor vent. I think a more major vent that I've got is, frankly, the, um, it's actually not a, it's not a legitimate vent, but, like, Captain Khan is going to have one of the first Malifo tournaments that we've had in a while that hasn't been digital. I... Would like, and I know that other areas of the country are finally getting to a point with their COVID, you know, COVID health being safe, safe gaming, all that's important. People should put that first. I would like to see us getting to a point where we can start having tournaments in more places because in my local area, there have not been any tournaments and. How am I supposed to update my win-loss
0: draw record on the weird forums if I can't be
1: in tournaments?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see the return of of live tournaments. And I think I think it's kind of unfortunate for Craig, you know, Craig of Third Floor Wars. He put in a lot of effort for, you know, the malfofo Photo or whatever. And I think mm-hmm. that I mean, of course, the pandemic is is one thing. But also I think you know, certain that maybe the Vassal World series kind of ended up eclipsing it because conceptually it was and I, I, I shouldn't say it's it's similar mechanically, but it's kind of like, oh well, here's this thing for the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I, I think it kind of maybe um reduced the sort of uniqueness of what he was trying to do or, or whatever. But I mean I would hope that he would start it back up and that, you know, pandemic conditions permit uh, the increase of, of live play and especially competitive live play. Agreed. I, I just think that, that was some that was
1: an aspect of the game that I really enjoyed was the social I mean, we've all talked, I think on this podcast, I think other podcasts have covered it. The social aspect of the game is one of the more common things people say is like, oh, I love going to games day, you know, go out, hanging with my friends, flipping some cards, just having a good time. And I know I've missed that, you know, quarantine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> just want to get back to that. Um, trying to think what other grievances do I have? you know i think that about covers it for me you guys
0: are just really happy people and you know what though the
2: talk of the other side reminded me of my personal grievance of how fucking lame the abyssinia titan is (laughs) like you played an intro game with one of the other people at the store and you put it on the table and i was just so fucking sad again and i just (laughs) i just fucking hate that model so much
0: Even if it were a lot larger, it would still be really stupid, I think.
2: It's just like, I see all the other titans. I'm like, this is great. And then when it came to Abyssinia, and like the rest of the Abyssinia army, I love like the theme, like how it's sculpted. It feels like the prototype of the prototype of the prototype for like the rest of the army. It's like they built this thing before when Abyssinia was initially formed and they just like (laughs) fucking forgot about in the corner. I'm like, oh shit, maybe we can use this to fight something. (laughs) (laughs)
1: dust it off all right we're bringing it back out of retirement
2: we'll just throw three guys on it it has machine guns like oh that that's definitely as good as like the king's hand which is a giant fucking robot with a cannon on its arm
1: the king's hand model is fantastic i i really need to get a demo in i was talking with some of the guys around my local shop about getting a started with the other side come the new year it just i want that game to get off
2: the ground i want to get back into it but i'm kind of holding my breath until they actually like either release like a complete faction or new models for the existing factions because right now we just have like the malifaux tie-in stuff and i want to see where that um you know i'm not sure if that's enough to like try and get people to commit to this game
0: yeah i mean i think weird really i mean i guess this is you know can very well be a grievance but I think Weird really does owe itself to the other side player base, you know, to, to speak clearly regarding their intentions uh, with the other side. What are your Weird's plans for the other side? Is this a game that they're really going to push, or is this going to be sort of like a limited run, kind of like side thing, which, you know, maybe kind of like their board games or whatever? Because people shelled out, you know, people backed the Kickstarter They spend a lot of money on that. People continue to buy product in stores. And I think they deserve a clear answer from weird what the future holds for this game. Fair.
1: So Jeff, now Mm -hmm. that we have aired our grievances, what
0: is the next step of Festivus? The next step of Festivus are the feats of strength. Huzzah. This is our opportunity to work out the aggression that we built up during the grievances. Uh, It's, it's all very rational as you would expect from the founder of Festivus. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who haven't seen Seinfeld so won't really get that joke. But uh yeah, you know, again, you owe it to yourself. I, I forgot what the episode is called. I think it's for like the bagel shop or whatever, cause the side plot is Kramer is working at that bagel shop, I think.
1: I mean it it's not like we live in an age where someone can put in the word festivus in a a a a television tube for for <laughs> you and me to find out right
0: and Seinfeld's on Netflix now too so you can just scalpel out uh that one episode and it's definitely worth the watch even if you um have never seen a Seinfeld episode before you'll you'll get it it doesn't require any additional setup uh yeah so the the feats of strength you know last year we kind of did it with some with some rules and and lore trivia it was one of my shining moments of of the year when I defeated Jim in lore You got me you did. I did. I did. I'm very happy about that. So, I guess I will kick it off with, um, you know, maybe something that connects to one of my grievances about the insufficient frequency of rules releases. Suppose you have a Gwisin. I'm not really sure if that's the correct pronunciation, but that's what I'm going to be saying. It's that six stone mi- Urami minion. It, it's it's the new one Um, Kirai mm-hmm. gets from the uh, the yet-to-be-seen-in-person other side starter set uh, this model has take the hit you know for those of you who aren't familiar it's basically when when a friendly model nearby is targeted uh the glison can discard a card uh to place in base contact and become the new target and they also mm-hmm. have vengeance too which is after resolving an action that targeted and damaged the model the attacking model suffers plus two damage now there is a fact entry that had to do with terrify that maybe mm-hmm. resolved this question but I'm gonna put it out to you guys Jim and Colgan If the Grissom uses Take the Hit, do you think that the uh, attacking model takes vengeance damage?
2: I'm looking at the card, and I would say yes, because in Take the Hit, it says... Are
1: we not supposed to look at the cards? You can look at the card. (laughs) I mean, how dare you not memorize a card that hasn't been physically (laughs) released in the wild in your area yet? Uh, But for Take the
2: Hit, it says they become the new target, so I would imagine that vengeance would resolve because they're now the targeted model.
1: So here's where I'm going to push the glasses up the bridge of my nose and tell you that <laughs> you're wrong <laughs> because they became the target, but they were not targeted. They became the noun, but they weren't verbed. And this is what that FAQ that Jeff was alluding to says is that when you go to target someone, you are targeting whoever you initially said, you're going to target Karai too. you take the hit you're not targeting the gwissen. You're not taking terrifying because it has gray spirits touch. Because of course it does, and because you didn't target
0: it, you don't have to take the vengeance damage either. So I, yeah, I, I, think there is a very strong case to make that that Jim's reading is correct. My hesitation, though, to really nail the coffin shut, is that the answer, you know, the fact answer that deals with terrify even though it does make that distinction that Jim is talking about between target and targeting, which I said this was a possible way for them to do it in the terrify episode I made like way back when we started this. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was like the stupidest way to do it. And yeah, that's how they did it. Um, (laughs) But if you actually read the fact entry more closely, the fact answer is also dependent on a specific step in like the action resolution sequencing, which leaves it less clear that vengeance doesn't apply, because even though it it is like implicated by the, the targeting distinction, it's actually happening in a different in a different area of action resolution, a different step of action resolution. Hmm. Because it's not an effect that's resolved at the same time. So that's like the very first, you know, like the very first sentence after the word yes in, in that fact answer. And I've seen on the forums and on a weird place actually a good deal of, I don't want to say controversy, but there are people who basically read it either way, right? And I think that my expectation is that when Weird made the Gwissen, they intended vengeance to work, as Colgan describes. But I don't know if when they actually issue a ruling, if they do ever actually issue a ruling on this. I'm not sure if they would be willing to make yet another distinction. So I, I'd be pretty interested to see what happens.
1: When you say another distinction, do you mean a distinction other than the initial target of the distinction? Or do you mean it can never be the distinction that was initially made? Yes. Sorry, that was a bad joke about the original another FAQ. <laughs> okay.
0: Well then it was as confusing as another, so I guess you uh you got what you were looking for.
2: Huzzah. <laughs> as a side note, I've I've never heard anyone else call FAQ as FAC. And I was just wondering if it's just me, but Jim just said FAQ. So
1: I, I have used the word fac before. It truly depends on the moment and how the spirit moves me.
2: Is that a common thing somewhere? I don't is know that what like, I say. Is it like a regional thing? Probably. What do I say? Wait, you said fact. You kept saying fact.
0: Okay, well, is that what you're asking? I thought the way you were asking it, it sounded like you were asking Jim. I don't know what I say. <laughs> like, what she say? I don't know. Words come out. I don't, if I, if I kept a recollection, I think I would just become mortified. So, you know, I just, <laughs> it's best to forget them. <laughs> so that's fair. That's a legitimate uh, feat of strength there. That's a really good puzzle. So my next feat of strength, Assume we have two height 2 models and between them is a height 3 hill that blocks all sight lines between the two models. Can the two models see each other rules as written? Um it's a height 3 hill. No.
1: <laughs> which way is uh, it sloping?
0: <laughs> so which way uh, is it sloping? That's a good question. <laughs> it is, you know, the characters are on other side on the other side of the peak so that you know they they are completely obscured by the hill.
2: Okay. Yeah, I would have to agree with Jim, but the fact that you're asking this question.
0: <laughs> so if you actually look at the, you know, the hills entry in, in the rulebook, the hills have no line of sight obscuring trait. You know, it talks about how hills have a height equal to the distance between the model and and the table, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? Because the hill slopes, so it would have different heights at different sections, but it doesn't actually give any, any line of sight you know it doesn't have blocking it doesn't have dents or whatever that's stupid and it well so i think weird expectation is that players should treat it like the table because obviously you can't see through the table but you know rules don't really work like that I And mean, interestingly in our meta at our store we've mostly you know on the few occasions where we've used hills like we use them during socal regionals but for the most part i try to avoid setting out the hill because it's well complicated for those part, we kind of treated it as blocking, but without a shadow, uh, because if it has a shadow, it gets really complicated. Like, mm-hmm. what is the shadow? Is it you know a shadow a, a model two inches up? Is does the shadow only project two inches out? Does the does the shadow project from the model's base? Does it project from the hill's base? You know, and shadow rules are already like so complicated that trying to make all that work with the hill yeah. is problematic. But making it dense. Yeah, I was going to say, what if you made it dense? Well, so the World Series tried that. You know, I, I again, I don't necessarily come up with all these feats of strength on my own, but I think I actually did stumble across this one before. You know, it came up in the World Series. Not that I'm saying that they owe me either. I'm just this was a thing in the World Series, and they made them dense. But <laughs> what ended up happening is it became possible for a model to stand on one hill and then see over everything else because of Because the hills also have a height, and the way they rule dense, and this kind of goes to, you know, whether or not you can ignore dense with height, which I think different people play differently, Mm -hmm. but the World Series at least did it that you could, and I think many people are going to be sympathetic with that argument, right? Like, at the store, we kind of use these hedgerow pieces from time to time, and I treat those as, like, dense height, too. So I would expect that you could see over them. So if your hill is dense and you can see over it, then... A model that just, like, toes the back of a hill can see through, you know, see through the rest of the hill, and that's pretty ludicrous. And Mm -hmm. if the hills have height, and if height allows you to ignore dents, then a model on the hill can basically see the entire board, which I think part of the point of potentially using blocking instead, with the shadow rules and whatever, is that the shadow represents using, like, nook crannies and angles, and you could very well imagine a model lying on the, you know, the the away-facing side of a hill and not being seen by people on the other side. So, Colgan, what do you think about about the hill situation?
2: Sounds so much more complicated than I ever imagined. (laughs) I guess also, yeah, not even including hills because they don't do much terrain-wise unless you throw extra rules on them anyways.
0: Well, so that's the thing, right? Hills, they're given a height for a reason, which makes me suspect that they're meant to have blocking. But the problem is, the height is variable, right? And so, how do you treat the shadow? Is the shadow relative to every model's individual position on the hill? That seems kind of like it can lead to some really sort of ridiculous situations. On the other hand, a height three hill does it have a three inch shadow from its base. I mean, that could be huge. So I I think weird weird is hoping people play hills kind of intuitively. Obviously, yeah. you can't see me. I'm behind the hill. Right. But that, as far as rules go, that's not a rule.
2: Right. Especially because, you know, like height is meant to differentiate between models, even if they're not like physically large or anything like that. So you don't have to deal with true line of sight.
0: I should also point out that with these kind of like feats of strength or whatever, a lot of them, the ones we did last year were kind of more clear cut in that they were sort of a rules situation that maybe doesn't come up a ton, but Mm -hmm. that has a like a definite resolution. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's also sections of the rules that are not clear and that reasonable people can resolve differently. And ultimately I think those are actually the most important situations for weird to resolve. That's fair.
2: Yeah. Or else, yeah, you're never going to reach any kind of valid, I guess, decision because you just have to
1: flip a coin. Or speak to your TO before the event. If it's an organized event or bring it up outside of a game, which is probably the best. But yeah, as far as resolution, you have to decide on one. But I
2: guess like the issue is that you can make a valid argument for either way. So then it just kind of comes down to like,
1: I guess, preference in a sense. How do you handle Jim's hill, uh, hills, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I handle my hills with great gusto. <laughs> Actually, no, we, I was trying out using them as dents where uh, you could see through them if you were on them. We've tried we've tried doing the blocking, but no shadow style thing. Gentleman's agreement before the game. And frankly, my local shop doesn't use hills a lot now. <laughs> frankly, our, our boards are getting kind of kind of dull, except uh, one of our locals, Matt Stanley. Shout out to Matt Stanley, has been bringing full mats and terrain to match them like he has a snow map. He has a a lava map and. Those are spicing things up as far as terrain layout go. But still, none of them are really using hills. So we Mm -hmm. don't really use hills at all in our game. We don't really use a lot of elevation either. We have a few terrain pieces that are like old Warhammer fantasy buildings that have, you know, it's like the classic Warhammer ruins of it's a big L and there's like a hole and you can put dudes in it. Mm -hmm. But, But it doesn't really play to Malifaux strength. I don't think Malifaux is a great vertical game. I know folks really want to play Malifaux with the whole going up and down walkways and stuff like kill team, but I think a game breaks down at that point, frankly.
0: Yeah, I'm not super familiar with first edition, but neither second nor third editions elevation rules, I think, have really been very good. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you get kind of like ludicrous situations where you have the alpinist or something, right? Mm-hmm. His R lets you ignore ignore terrain, but what does that mean if the Arya gets blocked line of sight like while someone is using that ability? Yeah, no.
1: He ignores terrain, basically, because he's always within line of sight to himself. But everyone else, they forget how to climb as soon as they can't see the alchemist. That's the problem. That <laughs> this poor goat, goat gave
0: me this rope, but he didn't tell me how to use it. So, he did So, you know, no. now I'm screwed.
1: <laughs> Can you really call it the goat, then? If it doesn't even help you like that?
0: <laughs> Alright, so my last feat of strength. Corpse candles have this ability, uh, this demise ability. Uh, after this model is killed, drop a fifty-millimeter hazardous pyre marker into base contact with with it, with the corpse candle. Uh, and also has this other ability, walking dead. Uh, that basically it can be treated as a corpse marker. And if the corpse marker would be removed, it dies. Shield bearers have the bonus action blasphemous ritual. Remove target corpse marker. Friendly models within three inches of this model gain focus. Shield Bears also have an ability, Funeral Pyre. After this model kills another model, it may drop a 50 millimeter hazardous pyre marker into base contact with the killed mar- model. So, my question is if the Shield Bearer uses Blasphemous Ritual and treats the corpse candle as a corpse marker, which then gets removed and kills the corpse marker, how many pyre markers am I dropping? And from from which model's ability am i generating pyre markers i'm having a think i am going to go out on a limb
1: and say you were dropping one pyre marker from the demise effect on the candle itself
0: so essentially what you're saying is the shield bearer is not counted as having killed the corpse candle. correct what do you think colgan
1: I'm going
2: to say that they each drop one. The Corpse Candle drops one, and the Shield Bearer will drop one.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, I am not super sure in this instance. And I think this speaks to the value in clarifying what uh, like counts as type effects do in the game. You know, how they actually resolve. Because you can also imagine maybe the Shield Bear or another model like it might have other effects keying off if you kill a model that, you know, maybe don't don't drop markers or whatever, right? And the thing is, if the Shield Bear, like, just walked up and hit it and did enough damage to kill the Corpse uh, Candle, nobody's going to argue that uh, the Shield Bear hasn't killed it. But somehow, mm-hmm. the fact that the Shield Bear removed the Corpse Candle and that killed it because of something, you know, because of an ability that the Corpse Candle has, you know, now we're saying it didn't it didn't kill it, I'm not like really sold on that reasoning. So I think this is a situation where reasonable minds definitely can differ, but it's, it's a category of effects that I'm sure, you know, because there's so many model interactions in Malifaux, th- there could very well be some like genuinely broken implication of, of, of these kinds of like counts as, that I think weird really should make it explicit what happens In these kinds of situations, when one model is counting as something else. That's fair. It is certainly not intuitive
1: that you could charge a corpse candle and get, like, two pyre markers out of it. Or you can spend it as a resource and only get one. You would think, especially someone new to playing the Revenant keyword, Oh, if I do a thing to my candle, I get a bunch of pyres. Cool. Having to remember which ones do which is definitely a bit of a a trick.
0: Yeah, and I just think counts as can lead to a lot of confusion, right? Like ca- course candles can be treated as course markers. And what if a model can treat course markers as scheme markers? The course candles are insignificant. Does you know, does that happen? That is a great question. And there is no clear
1: answer for that. I will point to the I think it's comfortable hat upgrade you get from the white rabbit company that somer and seamus share because it explicitly states that the model ignores its insignificant ability if it has it and is counted as a scheme marker by friendly models and its owner Mm -hmm. so because it explicitly says it ignores the insignificant ability I would put money down on insignificant trumping it counting as a scheme marker because it would be a scheme marker that is ignored. It's essentially
0: an insignificant scheme marker, but there is no clear rules line for that. It's an insignificant course marker is the thing, right? Because it's another model's ability which lets it treat it as a as a scheme marker. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Is is Insignificant so powerful that it reaches over to other models and says, well, no, you can't treat this as a scheme marker. You you can't treat this corpse marker as a scheme marker. Well, you can treat it as a scheme marker. You just can't use that scheme marker for schemes and strats. But that's right? not what – so Insignificant makes the model ignored for schemes and strategies. But if the model is a corpse marker I, – I hear what you're saying. Like, could you treat this as a course marker for research mission?
1: And I think I'm sitting here at the point saying I wouldn't.
0: All right, fair, fair. I mean, I think that's a fair resolution. It just kind of goes to the point where I think these sorts of abilities um need a bit more clarification. Agreed. All right. So I this isn't like a feat of strength because the, the rule on it is clear now that... Actually, sorry. Well, no. So here's the thing. Scamper, right? Previously, it wasn't clear really um when you scamper, but... Uh, like if you you know, cheat a terrifying, for instance, mm-hmm. the April FAC or FAQ <laughs> <laughs> cleared that up, right? It says now you do it after the entire action. Here's mm-hmm. my question. You could conceivably cheat five or six times during an action, right? There's enough things that could potentially require tests to require cheating like five or six times in one action. If you cheated like five times, would the scamper model move once or five times? I
1: am not certain that there's a clear answer here. My gut reaction is you would
0: scamper once. So my opinion is that I think rules is written, each scamper would generate and they would all become simultaneous actions. So I think you would move like five times, but that sounds like the kind of resolution that shouldn't really exist. Right. And Malifaux
1: doesn't exactly have a great track record of having clear nested things of the same name.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And that's where I'm getting a little flummoxed here is, is Scamper technically an aura? Yes
0: or yeah i believe it is an aura it's an or like six inches or something like that yeah, six
2: inch or after an enemy okay. within six aura cheats fate
0: but each instance of scamper is getting generated at different times right like oh mm-hmm. i i charge you boring conversation i fail i cheat uh you have terrifying right i fail i cheat i try to attack you i fail i cheat i damage i fail you know i can cheat it somehow and there's I looked it up, there's actually like at least one other ability I'm trading it now, but yeah, there's like an ability that causes charges to fail if you don't pass a certain target number. So I know of at least five possible things, and I'm, I'm guessing there's probably one out there just because of how many abilities there are. So there's at least five, possibly six things you might have to cheat in one action. And if that happens, you're generating these at different points in the sequence. I think they're different effects. I don't really have a good reason to argue against that. But, we're help us out here next year when you, you know, release in a, in a radar or something. So, Jim, uh, do you have a feed of strength for us lore or rules or, you know, whatever else? I have a couple, actually. All right.
1: And some of these are going to come to you from some of my more recent games. Nice. So, you're playing Bet Noir. You have a dead dandy who is in your deployment zone and you have bet up the field and, you know, it's turn three, right? Dead dandy does proper murder mystery and makes a corpse marker. Can bet noir use her bonus action to remove that marker and take a charge action? Yes.
0: It will ignore the unbury effect. I believe because it says it, it says rising Again says it can be taken while buried, but not that it has to be buried. Exactly. So I believe the rules say if you, you ignore an unbury effect if you're not buried, I think. Correct. Okay. And yeah, and that's the general consensus. There is no range on
1: this ability. It may be taken while buried, but it does not have the must. It says unbury, period. May take the charge, action, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Those are separate statements. And the understanding that I have, and I think is borne out in the FAQ... Or the fact <laughs> is that you resolve each line item, and if you cannot resolve a full line item, the effect will will cease. Sort of like if you do an attack that has a rider trigger a tr- triggered effect that has a target listed, and you kill the target, you don't get your trigger. But uh. rise again, you don't have to. It doesn't fizzle. And there's no restriction on range for using that. So yes, you can. What
0: if bet targeted a corpse, a corpse candle? You could just argue about two things and the game would just like, if you're losing, <laughs> you know, you could just kick up an argument about like whether or not pyromarkers happen and whether or not you get this charge. And yeah, uh, well, we can't resolve it. Good game. You could do that. Here's a fun
1: one. Well, we'll stick with bet. Let's say you're playing Dr. McMorning in sanitary. Okay, Ugh. You have a corpse marker within eight inches of Dr. McMorning in Sanitary. How many actions does Bet have for the rest of the game? <laughs> uh, the answer is three. <laughs> I'll give you that one because McMorning can use reduce, reuse, recycle on her activation to essentially move a corpse marker around him and just make her be a three action model Forever, just just because she's there, and draw a card each time, and draw or or draw a card each time. It's uh dropping a corpse
0: or drawing a card, or with reduced reuse cycle. Well, yeah, but so she would remove the marker, mm-hmm. right? After marker within eight is removed, this model may either drop a card or drop the move marker anywhere within two. So bet mm-hmm. could target the course marker, remove it, to get the charge. Mm-hmm. Right? And McMorning then could drop it or draw a card, right? He could. He could drop a new... Cor- so you get the charge and a card. Or you get the charge and the corpse marker back. Right. I oh, gotcha. What if it were a corpse candle? You would kill it. You would treat it as a course marker. You would remove it, which would kill it. Mm-hmm. Which would either get you a pyre or a corpse marker, right? Because if you don't want to give a... No, you would always get a pyre, Right. You would. You would. So yeah, you could remove it. You get a pyre and charge and a card. Maybe. Jeez. I, this, this yeah. morning, like we did the reveal on him, but honestly, <laughs> he hurts my head. Like he's, uh, so-
1: we missed a lot. I, I fully, I, like
0: I have played
1: in sanitary McMorning. I have vert, faced off against him far more than any other title at this point. <laughs> and I've been made privy to some incredibly disgusting things that he can do. For example, the rogue necromancy has a built-in positive on its attack action. And, you know, it has a great attack. It's a 3-4-5 stat 6 with, like, puncture and pouncing strike and on. It's, it's a really good attack, right? Sure. McMorning has plastic surgery, so he can give that attack to any other model if he wants to. hmm You could give that to The Chihuahua and make your totem hit as hard as your enforcer. Or let's say you're playing in a meta that allows double masters master hiring. Right. You hire. I don't know. (laughs) Seamus. You can give Seamus the rogue necromancy's attack. You get to take up to four attacks from the rogue necromancy on its activation. Seamus can stone for the trigger On his activation or McMorning can do it if you're doing it with McMorning but I bring up Seamus because Seamus also has this ability called why hello love and that might be only on his title let's see oh no he has it on his on both versions after an enemy model ends a move engaged by this model if it's not the enemy model's activation this model may take a claw action targeting it McMorning in Sanitary has an attack action where is his card there it is called desperate plot this is the stat that uh the thing that pushes something and gives it an upgrade if it's a friendly push the target up to four in any direction so let's say that you have Morning and sanitary and sheamus just hanging out on a field you've given M- sheamus the rogue necromancy's attack and there's an enemy nearby two enemies even we'll say two enemies <laughs> you desperate plot an enemy it ends next to sheamus why hello love Hits you with the stat six on a positive stones for the mask, because it's not an action generated by a trigger, it's generated by an action ability. He proceeds to jump to the other model and take a 3-4-5 stat 6 positive twist attack on that. Second AP from McMorning. Push the other enemy, ending in engagement. Do it again. You just gave Seamus 6 stat 6, 3, 4, 5 damage track attacks out of activation, and he still has his own action to take 6. To if it's classic Sheamus, he can do that four times with cause for celebration. That's eight. That's fourteen attacks from Sheamus at a three, four, five, stat damage track stat six built-in positive. <laughs> if you have the cards and stones, and you still have the rogue necromancy's attack uh, up to four times, so you can get that attack out eighteen times in a turn before you start doing things like pushing things around with the nurse herself
0: or bells or anything like that actually more than that because desperate plot has quick reflexes sure does <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah this this morning is so immensely complicated yes i have no confidence that i can play it very well i i've been very satisfied
1: Playing against him, not in that I win because I don't typically, (laughs) but in seeing the kinds of plays that it opens up, he is such a. Flexible, high skill ceiling, high skill floor master, it's just so cool to see in action. I just look forward to the day when I can deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Another feat of strength, however, let's because we are getting a little on here. Colgan, what's your feat of strength?
2: I've I've just come to accept that I'm the casual on this podcast. <laughs> I do not have any feats of strength. I'm just here to observe and listen and learn and make fun of Jeff.
0: That, I mean, that's okay. You know, every knight needs a squire. So it's the supporting cast are no less important than the heroes. Frankly, when I did theater in college, I preferred being a ensemble
1: member because that gave you a lot more flexibility to like make your own character decisions and less scrutiny Oh, i was a stagehand
2: i wonder if that means anything
1: (laughs) um that means you were indispensable and were the reason the show went off without a hitch so you were (laughs) yes important here's one and i'll this will be my last feat of strength for for this segment you haven't played much with titles have you seen
0: much about brewmaster moonshiner yet No, I I heard some people talking about him, I think on uh, Swamp Fiends yesterday, but I haven't seen him. Brewmaster Moonshiner is one of the most fun masters
1: I have played since titles dropped. And the reason for that is, A, he is janky, and he has an incredible amount of dirtle. And for those who don't know that term, dirtling is where you just kind of rev your engine in your deployment zone. But... It is entirely possible to get up to north of a hundred poison out on your crew turn one. (laughs) The first time I played him, I was playing Brian Stones himself from Schemes and Stones. He was playing title Vix. That was the game where I got something like 20 odd poison onto the Victorias turn three, (laughs) used tipsy slide to push them into the middle of a forest, even through severe terrain. And they were out of the game and died to poison damage the following turn because they were taking like five or six poison damage a chunk. Um, (laughs) While I'm pushing my entire crew an extra four or five inches. So like your entire crew has deadly pursuit. Your entire crew is handing out poison like candy and cherry on top. It makes him incredibly good at scheme marker schemes because he can just drop poison on something to drop a marker in base. No flip, no resist and not once per activation. So, detonate charges? Oh, I spend two actions and score a VP. That doesn't get much better than that.
0: Seems decent, yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot going on on his card, too. He
1: does. He's not doing a lot of damage himself, and I know a lot of folks really value his a barroom brawl. I have valued Tipsy Slide more, but I have heard some incredibly gross things about the Fermented River Monks with Barroom Brawl, because they have Drunken Stumble on, I think, every action or something close to that. And they can get up to min four damage with their attacks between having a bunch of poison and then being up to like stat seven or six with Chi. Like, for a model that wasn't seeing a lot of play, Fermented River Monks are a serious threat now, which does kind of speak colgan to your point earlier about how does one prepare when they're going up against brewmaster because that's so different from classic
0: brewmaster but i think it's just really cool that it gives that option for sure for sure all right well those were our grievances and our feats of strength and that concludes the ceremonial that is festivus of uh 2021 a uh, gem it's Great to reconnect with you again, although I shouldn't talk like it's been so long because we did an episode, you know, just, uh, I think, just a month ago or whatever when um, when Colgan uh, couldn't make it. But, you know, it is always good to uh, get a perspective from from Maryland. We're going to, you know, remind everyone that we are looking for a teammate for Jim to, uh, uh, you know, uphold the honor of the other coast. So, yeah, if you're interested in that, let us know. Otherwise, You know, we we play just in two small corners of the globe, Los Angeles and Maryland, Uh, but we are reasonably invested in Malfo. We want to be part of the Malfo community, and that's why we're doing this podcast. So if you have enjoyed our episode, please let us know. You can reach us through just a huge number of of methods, and we will get back to it as soon as, you know, we remember to, Uh, which... (laughs) varies um but no seriously we we appreciate all feedback and if if a, if something falls the cracks and we forget to respond you know rest assured we did see it and they really did just make our day to hear you know even even insults are are appreciated if you have any ideas for things you'd like us to talk about you know please let us know we're always looking for other episode ideas if you would like to support the channel you know a like a share subscribe goes a long way we have a paypal and a patreon if you'd like to help the channel in that way and You know, shout out to all of our backers who have uh, thus far or in the past or are considering doing so in the future. Otherwise, you know, that's going to do it for me. And I just want to close by, you know, saying this hasn't been really the rough pandemic of 2020 but i know a lot of people haven't had an easy time in 2021 so you know if we've been able to do anything to make it just a little bit easier like if you found a little bit of enjoyment from anything we've said we're thrilled to be able to have been been a part of that Uh, and i just want to wish everyone their preferred winter and new year holiday of choice Uh, and that's going to do it for me
1: yeah thanks for having me have a fantastic 2022 y'all happy best of everyone